Welcome to the Refuge Podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd like to also invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 1045, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. Hear this lesson from the seventh chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Rome. Romans chapter 7, verses 15 and following. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my innermost self, but I see in my members another law at war within the law of my mind, making me a captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So let's get it out of the way. Just call me Doug. My last name is spelled small d-e, capital G, space. I missed, I can't even spell my own last name in church. Hey, no pressure. Small d-e, space, capital G-R-A-F-F-E-N-R-I-E-D. It's pronounced DeGraffenried. There you go. So just call me Doug. You know, if you see me in Lowe's and you want to introduce me to your best friend, here's our pastor. He said, just call him Doug. I am just Doug. I couldn't spell my last name until I was in the second grade. I walked around with this big old name tag. And they said, little boy, what's your name? And I'd hold it up and they'd say, oh, that's a very long last name. You're going to have to be a big boy to learn how to spell that. Yep. They were right. The other day, I went into the the pharmacy to have my medicine transferred. There are two great things you've got to do when you're a Methodist minister and you move. You've got to move your prescriptions, and you've got to move your dry cleaners. And at both places, you have to spell your name. And at the pharmacy, what's your name? Doug DeGraffenreed. I'm sorry, you'll have to spell that for me. D-E space capital G-R-A-F-F-E-N-R-I-E-D. 
and she went into her proper liturgical response. Man, that's a long last name. How do you say that long last name? I bet you had trouble spelling that long last name. Where does that long last name come from? Well, it comes from Switzerland. I come from Alabama. Yes, it took me a long time to spell it. What's your first name, she said. I said, Aloysius Constantine. (laughs) No, it's just Doug. And I'll be just Doug to you. And if you are teaching your children to respect the role of, of clergy, I will be Doug, Mr. Doug, Pastor Doug, Brother Doug, Reverend Doug, or Hey Doug. However you and your family show respect, I'm honored. But otherwise, just call me Doug. I haven't always been Doug. I was born at a time before there were gender reveal parties. Back when I was born... Believe it or not, young people, parents did not know what they were having until we showed up. That's what they got. Boom. Now, there was always this one old lady in town who could look at the baby bump. One old lady could ferret with the tea leaves and everything else. Oh, you're carrying that like a little boy or, oh, you're carrying that like a little girl. But other than that, they didn't know. And that's why in the late 50s, there were a bunch of yellow and green nursery rooms because they didn't know. Now, before I was born, my parents didn't want to call me, oh, what's his toes? Or, oh, what's his name? Because they didn't know if I was a he or a what or a she or a them. Or they didn't know. So they gave me a prenatal name. A name that they could call me as they were referring to my birth. Dinkeldorf. You know, when old Dinkeldorf gets here, we're going to do this. And when Dinkeldorf gets there, we're going to do this. And they just couldn't figure out how I could handle that many letters. I mean, come on, Dinkeldorf de Graffenried, give me a break. So my parents, in a moment and in a fit of insight, said, we're going to fix his nickname. He's not going to be Dinkeldorf. We're going to call him Dink. Oh. Dink, ah, what a powerful moniker that name is out on the playground. Come here, Dink. Hey, Dink, you want to play kickball? Dink, we're getting up a game of basketball. So I arrived at the first grade, and I told my first grade teacher, Mrs. Arnold, I don't want to be Dink anymore. I want to be Doug. Now, I have just revealed a super secret. It's a family secret. I will tell you that still today when my sister wants to get under my skin she calls me Reverend Dink if I do something wrong you just say okay Dink your Dinkeldorf is showing otherwise just call me Doug unless you're mad at me when my wife gets mad at me she uses my title and my last name Reverend DeGraffenreed have you purchased another set of commentaries on your Amazon account Reverend DeGraffenreed, are you buying something at Lowe's I need to know about? Otherwise, just Doug. And we've begun that process of learning each other's name, and you've got one name to learn, mine. Uh, 
Granted, it's a long last name. I've got all your names to learn, so please give me a couple of opportunities before you come up to me and say, I bet you don't remember me. I bet you don't know what my last name is. And I'm going to tell you a secret about me on Sunday mornings. Do not tell me anything on Sunday morning that is important because my brain is not in gear. I'm thinking about one thing only. I'm thinking about a sermon and how to preach and all the things that go with worship. So let's make a rule. If you're going to tell me something important, wait, call me, text me, something. But your name is important and I want to learn it. I want to get good at it, okay? It will take me a little while. But Methodists like to help their preacher get to know each other. By the time our time together comes to a conclusion, not only will I know your name, I will have the worship spaces at Trinity United Methodist Church memorized because you are creatures of habit. You walk in and you splotch down where you've been splotching down forever. And in contemporary worship spaces, it's actually worse than the sanctuary. Do you know why? Because you have a seat, and it's my seat, and I have been sitting on that seat since the very beginning. And do you know what else I've discovered about Methodists? I didn't know this until a couple of years ago. You even park in the same parking place every Sunday. You're such creatures of habit, and I will know who are the front puller inners and who are the back puller inners. It's a great thing. Because what I do is after a while, I'll be able to close my eyes and I'll be able to run the seating chart in my mind. And I can say, yeah, John and Mary want in church. I need to pray for them and I need to check on them. So I'm going to enjoy getting to know you. And I'll get to know you as, as people who participate in worship. Man, there are singers in our midst, and it's great to hear you sing and glorify God in your singing. I'll get to know you as you preach. You know, if you spend enough time in these contemporary worship spaces, you learn how to look under the lights. I can actually see your eyes. I know that scares some of you, but I know if you're with me. And some of you will be wide-eyed, and you'll be right there with every word I say. You'll be hanging on every word. And some of you will assume the Methodist position of prayer. And I'll see that too. And I'll also discover in the church there, there'll be this one person don't know yet if it's a male or female, but they're in every worship service, and they help me know if it's time to stop preaching. It's what I call the bounce move. It's the Methodist bounce move. It goes something like this. And I'll learn. And when I see that move, I'll go, hmm, time to cut this sermon short. And I'll end it right there. And the other thing you have in Methodism, and I don't know where it came from or the peppermints in that that wrapper, and every Methodist tries to unwrap it so slowly and so quietly, and you can just hear it echoing for miles and miles and miles. So if you need a breath mint, grip it and rip it, and we'll move on. But I'll learn this about you, and you'll learn it about me. And that's okay. I want everybody to be themselves. I am a sinner. I am a sinner saved by grace. I am going to make some I am going to make some errors. 
I will split infinitives. I will hang prepositions at the end of a sentence. I will dangle participles. I am so adept, I can even mess up a gerund. And I'll do all that in the announcements. But if you'll relax and extend me grace, it'll be all right. I mean, what do you think about it? Preacher comes to church on his first Sunday. I'm not even wearing a watch. What does that say about myself? I'm not very prepared. Or I knew that I would found, find the Methodist head bouncer and I would know when to quit. So you extend grace to me, I will extend grace to you. And as we serve Jesus Christ, we will lift each other up in prayer. We will love each other, we will nurture each other, and we will encourage each other. I'm not here to discover what your secret sin is. I'm not here to to stand in judgment of you. I am here to pray for you and nurture you and lead you. And I'm such a big sinner that sometimes I have to turn around and see if anybody's still following me. Okay? We good with that? We recognize that Christ isn't finished with any of us, and he is certainly not finished with me. He is working on me day by day. St. Francis, church legend, said, walked around with a ripped, dirty robe. He said he wanted his outside to mirror his interior life, that he was broken and wounded And he had discovered in that wounded place, he had discovered in that broken place, an indescribable love that transformed him and changed him. St. Augustine said that in his own life, that when he discovered God's love and mercy in that broken place, it dazzled him. And understand in church life, that's really what we're all about. We're discovering that broken place that Christ can mend, and then we become stronger. We discover that broken place so we can nurture and forgive and help people move along and move on. So when you see me, just call me Doug. And if you want to remind me, you can say, oh, yeah, you're a sinner saved by grace. Because you're a sinner saved by grace. And I can say that with a lot of confidence because Isaiah tells us that before you were even born, as God was forming you in the the womb, he knew you by name. He made you the way you are for his glory. And he knew that you would become one of the sheep of his fold, and he calls you by name. The scripture says the good shepherd calls his own by name, and they know his voice. And God continues to call you. It's that nudge you get during a worship song. It's those tears that are running down your cheek when you're singing, what a beautiful name. It's understanding that that name of Jesus has changed your life. That that name of Jesus has called you into a deeper relationship with him. That that name and person of Jesus has called you to grow in grace and to join this journey of transformation.
So you'd think God would have found another way to do it. To share the love and grace of God in Jesus Christ, he would have, you know, brought down some saints or something. But he called a room full of sinners. And he said, I'm calling you to follow me. And I'm calling you to share my message of love and grace. Yeah, you and you and you. We're evangelists. We're preachers. We're teachers. We're counselors. We have all, by virtue of our baptism, been called into the ministry of Christ to share his love. And trust me, if I, a sinner, can do that, you can do it way better than I can. It's that name of Jesus that makes a difference. It's that name of Jesus that changes lives. Mia was a member of the church I pastored in Baton Rouge. Mia is, was and is about the sweetest human being you have ever met. She is just a gentle spirit. She loves everybody. I mean, Mia loves that person that cuts you off from the parking spot on Christmas Eve at Walmart. She loves these kind of people. I don't see how she can do it. Her life is just a gracious proclamation of the love of God. One Sunday, she pulled me to the side before our early service started, and she said, Doug? Yes, ma'am. My uncle's gotten old, and he's gotten kind of feeble, and he's coming to move in with us. And Doug... I'm going to bring him to church every Sunday I can. Good, Mia. And Doug, um, he's an atheist. And I hope that while he comes to church here and hears your preaching, that he'll come to faith in Christ. Now, the rough Methodist translation of that is, Doug, my uncle is an atheist, and what are you going to do about it? And I'm going to hold you accountable for this old guy. No pressure. It's okay. So Mia brought his uncle, her uncle, to church. And let me fill in some blanks about Uncle John. Uncle John came to the United States right after World War II. He and his brother actually moved here at the same time. Uncle John moved here from the Soviet Union. Uncle John came as an employee of the Soviet government. I'm being very nice. Uncle John was a commie, and he was working for the KGB. He was a spy. And he was an opportunist. Because it wasn't four or five years later, the CIA discovered Uncle John, and they said, hey, Uncle John... Want to work for us too? He's a double agent. 
CIA, KGB, in the United States through the late 40s, all the 50s and the 60s, the early part of the 70s, Uncle John is spying. And Mia said that the family urban legend was Uncle John bumped off his own brother because his brother was about to rat him out. Now, that's a good prospect for the Methodist church, isn't it? You want that guy to get redeemed. So she brought him to church. He was in a wheelchair. She rolled him down the center aisle of that church and parked him and locked the wheelchair right at the third row. And Uncle John twisted the wheelchair so he could face me in the pulpit. There I am, face to face with Uncle John. Now, in the Methodist church, we usually are not very definitive about worship. We, um, you know, in worship, some people will find their hands just going up, just going up, and both hands going up, and then the reflex is to grab that hand and pull it back. At least somebody sees you with the hand going up. So if your hands want to go up, please raise them to the glory of God. We certainly, unless a Baptist is snuck in, we don't hear a lot of amens in the church. If an amen is heard in the church, we know they're Southern Baptists. Somebody give them a membership card quickly. And, and some of our charismatic brothers and sisters and cousins will come to the church in the 35 years I've been a United Methodist pastor. Actually, I've been a United pa- Methodist pastor 37 years. I have heard three hallelujahs and four praise the Lord's. And most Methodists, when that happens, they start looking around. Uncle John sat on the third row. He moaned, he grunted, and he sighed. I would say, Jesus is Lord, and Uncle John would go, hmm. God loves you and wants to forgive you. Huh. Almost every statement I made this old Russian atheist commie coot is responding back to it in a negative fashion. And the sinner in me raised up, and I wanted to walk out there and rebuke him in the name of Jesus during church. But I was preaching on the passage where Jesus said, turn the other cheek, and that wouldn't look good. This went on for weeks. Every time I would say something, grunting, moaning or sighing and he was definitive and obnoxious and he was trying to get a band to do it along with him it was like Mia was trying to do a slow sermon torture on her uncle just to wear him down that old man was wearing me out and then then we would run into Mia and her family and Uncle John at our favorite Mexican restaurant You know, it's hard to mess up me in a Mexican restaurant. I've had chips and salsa. I'm a happy man. But as we were leaving, Uncle John would kind of herd my wife, Tamara. And there in his wheelchair, he would put his arm around Tamara, around her waist. And he would say, you have a beautiful name. In my native language, 
of Russia. Tamra means beautiful. And you are certainly beautiful. And he would, he would kiss her hand and he would do all this stuff. And as she was walking away, he would pat her. He's in a wheelchair. He can't pat her up high. He's patting her on the la- back down low. The dude is hitting on my wife at the Mexican restaurant. He moans, he sighs, and he grunts when I preach, and he hits on my wife when we eat, and I want to double rebuke him in the name of Jesus. I know what's going to happen to this atheist. (laughs) Mia called me. No, she pulled me off from church one Sunday, on Sunday after I'd preached. And she said, Doug, I had to take Uncle John to the hospital, and this is it for him. You know, he, he's not going to get better. He's not going to come out. Would you come see him this afternoon and talk to him about Jesus? Yes, Mia. Doug, could you come at 1.30? 1.30 on a Sunday afternoon in the fall. Preachers are meditating in front of the NFL on Fox. You know, whether it's the Cowboys or the Saints, just don't bug us at 1.30 on a Sunday afternoon because we're there meditating heavily. I said, Mia... I'll come see Uncle John. So I drove to the hospital. We'd arranged to meet each other in the ICU waiting room, and I pulled in there and pulled up there, and there was Mia, and Mia said, Thank you for coming. Let me go tell him you're here. I said, Okay. I'll come get you, Doug. Okay. Ten minutes later, here comes Mia, and I can tell by her body language it has not gone well. She's shaking her head. She said, Doug, I am so sorry. He said, no ministers. Don't want to see you. He doesn't want to see anybody else. He doesn't need a minister. No ministers. Doug, I'm, I'm sorry. So I piled in my car and went the 25 miles back home. Tamara said, what happened? I said, well, he pulled up the iron curtain and kicked me out. I said, I'm going to have to bury that man, and I'm going to have to say he never invited Jesus into his heart and life. It kind of unnerves you when you know that. When you worry about a person's relationship with them soon to face eternity. But five o'clock that same Sunday afternoon, Mia called me back and she was all excited. She said, Doug, he wants you. He wants you to come hear his confession. He wants you to serve him communion because he thinks it's last rites. Can you please, please come back to the hospital and bring communion? And oh, by the way, Doug, he grew up in the Russian Orthodox Church. He wants the longest communion ritual you can find. Sure, Mia, I'm coming. So I grabbed my communion to go and I went. 
And the man I saw in that hospital bed that evening was looking down the double barrel of death. And the look on his face was a question. Does Jesus love even me? And will I be accepted by him? There was no pretense. There was no atheist argument. There was no groaning, moaning, grunting, or sighing. Just a desperate soul who knew the end was near. So we had a little bit of small talk, and then Uncle John said to Mia, Mia, I need you to leave the room. I need to, for the father to hear my confession. I've gone from no minister all the way up to father. I've been promoted. Mia left the room, and Uncle John started confessing. He was in the KGB and the CIA from the mid-1940s through probably the late 70s. This man had lots to confess. And I listened. And then the act of faith for me, a sinner, for me, a Methodist minister sinner, were those words that you speak after confession. We call them politely in the church the words of assurance. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. In the name of Jesus Christ, I announce to you that your sins are forgiven. I said those words of our Uncle John. And I meant them. And then I looked down at this man. I said, John, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And do you accept him now as your Lord and Savior? And I swear to you, the man's eyes were twinkling. He said, I believe in Jesus. And Doug, isn't it good to call upon the name of Jesus? I believe he is saving me right now. And that's great theology. You were saved you are being saved. You will be saved. And we got Mia back in the room, and I got out my long ritual, and I ran through every act of worship I could come and think of for communion. And John and Mia and I shared the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And he kept saying, it's good to call on the name of Jesus. It's good to call on the name of Jesus. It's good to call on the name of Jesus. Have you? When you're walking through the valley of the shadow, do you call upon the name of Jesus? When you're sitting there doom surfing at night and you wonder what's going to happen to us next, do you call on the name of Jesus? When you're worried about your kids or your parents or your future, do you call on the name of Jesus? When you're lost and you can't find your way, do you call on the name of Jesus? It's good to call on that beautiful name of Jesus. He will save you.
and he will make you whole. Would you stand with me and pray? In the name of Jesus, we pray, O oh God, for the hurting, for the lost, for the lonely. We pray for those who are afraid and those who are brave. We pray, O oh Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you would create in us a new creation, that your sanctifying grace would continue to work in us so that we look less and less like us and more and more like you. Bless us, Lord, as we grow into the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more about The Refuge and Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityruston.org.